Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome back to our protocols and uh, techniques. And I was speaking about contrast last time, and I was making the point about contrast that we spoke about the risk with contrast nephropathy, we spoke about the risk with reactions, but now I'm talking about the actual injection, and to me, that is the most dangerous part of the study. And the question is, is it more dangerous to inject 1 cc or 3 cc's or 5 cc's? Is it more dangerous to inject in the hand or intercubital fossa? Does it matter if you use an 18 or 20 or 22 gauge needle? Well, interestingly, there was a recent article published, and they looked at their uh, flow rates, and they looked at their contrast extravasations, and it was about 1.2% overall. They did mention they had very experienced people doing it, and they found that performing high flow rates with low diameter catheters, like a 22, and putting needles in the hand were associated with a higher extravasation rate. And that's very, very important, and I 100% agree. I think it's much more risky in the hand, and it's also more risky if you extravasate. I think the issue with 22-gauge needle is that you only can use a needle of a certain caliber. If you really want to inject 5 cc's a second, you can get by with a 20, but an 18 is ideal. Now, of course, that's not always possible, but you need to be very careful. It does make the point if you have to use a hand vein, which we all have to do at times, you need to be out there with the patient with your hand in the trigger, and if it extravasates, you need to stop it right away. So again, caution is very important. I think in the future, near term, there will be new needles coming out, which will solve some of these problems. But in the meantime, you need to be extra careful. Another thing is age. The older the patient, the more chance of extravasation. I think sometimes the patient's lack of cooperating, but I think other times it's just the fact that these patients have more fragile veins. Okay, and then there's other factors that I put in. Who starts the IV? Some people are just terrible IV starters. Well, they shouldn't be starting IVs. Oncology patients are, again, more difficult, fragile veins. I put them in the category of older patients. Also, you got to be careful by IVs that are in the patient coming down from the floor of the ER. Everyone says the IV is fine. Don't assume it's fine. Those are the ones I've seen the largest extravasations on. you got to be very careful that those are working. If things are taped down and you can't palpate and you can't see the IV, you can't use it. That's the bottom line because that's when extravasation will occur and you say, oh, it seemed to go in fine. Well, baloney. Don't use it. Start another IV. You can't use it. Okay. In terms of protocols, another thing that commonly comes up as we design protocols is the timing. And I think you have to make certain that you design your protocols for your scanner. Many of us have different scanners, so you need to adjust your protocol to match the scanner. The basic concepts of the protocol, thin sections may not change, but timing will change because if you have a 64 slice and the abdomen's under 10 seconds, but if you're going to a dual source and it's under 0.5 seconds, you've got to be thinking differently. Now, timing, you can preset values work very well in many patients, but as patients get older, it's more difficult. And the truth of the matter is, as we try to minimize radiation dose, you can't take a chance of having to rescan a patient because of bad timing. So triggering is ideal. Triggering, you pick a point in, near the area of interest, is an ideal way, as you can see here, of getting very good density values. Now, triggers will be lower if the scan takes longer. So 16 slice, you might trigger for the abdomen at 180. At 64 slice, you might do 230. And at a dual source, you might do 280 or 290. So triggering will depend on the length of the scan. And again, very nicely shown 
how you can get very homogeneous enhancement, very high contrast volumes. And of course, this homogeneity is important as you do 3D imaging. So when you look at the 3D, whether it's the top or the bottom of the data set, it looks the same, whether it's MIP on the left or volume rendering on your right. Now, other questions with contrast. What about the volume? Well, we're going with lower volume these days. Certain applications like liver, you need at least around 90 to 100 cc's. You just need the grams of iodine to detect metastasis. But injection rate, a study dependent, highest for cardiac. But we are trying routinely to do 4 cc's. Antecubital fossa, right side is ideal. IV, we use uh, angiocaths. Saline flush works very nicely. Mandatory in cardiac. Other studies can be used very nicely for maximizing the use of contrast. With saline flush of about 40 to 50 cc's, you can reduce the volume of contrast you're actually using. Now we talk about phases and we've given many lectures about this. Again, we like to do the least phases possible, but you need enough phases to get the answer. And so some studies require two phases. You want pancreas staging, you need two phases. Some require three phases, you want kidney masses. Some require four phases, but again, we're trying to minimize what we do. So that's why knowing why we're doing the study is so critical. So if you're looking at an SMA stent patency, you need one phase. But you also need to look at it and say, aha, here's axial, but I could scroll through it, but look how much nicer it is when I do the 3D rendering. Now, of course, what the 3D rendering shows you is the vessel is patent pre and post a stent, you got to look inside the stent, you see the pink line, you draw through the center of the stent, and here you have the vessel, which looks perfectly patent. If you're doing a donor and you need to look at the renal arteries, you just need that arterial phase, three right renal arteries. And if you're doing a stent graft, you're going to need arterial phase to look for the leak, the dominant leak. You'll need to look at patency and branch vessels, but you will need delayed phase imaging to look for a delayed leak. So again, sometimes you just can't get by with just one phase. But you need to do the right number of phases, do the study correctly. Timing and phase acquisition, looking at the ascending aorta for the section and size. Nice to see the right coronary, volume rendering and MIP showing you very nicely the ascending aorta. And then we use vessel tracking to be able to show the exact size. So again, getting everything together from that arterial phase is critical if you're looking at the aorta and you don't need a delayed phase in this scenario. Or a patient with Marfan's to look at the aorta. Very nice example, aortic root, dilated, but you can see again that at the level of sinus of Valsalva, but again, timing is critical. Gating is critical if you look at the ascending aorta. You want to do the study once, not hit it a second time because you're uncertain if there's a dissection or not. Here I'm certain it's dilated, but I'm also certain it's not a dissection. And you can see the valves very nicely and then calculate using the advanced vascular tools, the exact size of the aortic root and do it reproducibility with reproducibility and with accuracy. And that's true in the native vessel and it's true once the vessel has been repaired. Again, timing, triggering in the ascending aorta. Here you see a root repair with reimplantation of the coronary arteries. And 3D mapping nicely shows you that little button dilatation of the right coronary artery, which has been reimplanted. And uh, here's just a few other views of that. Now, of course, sometimes the application requires late phase imaging. So scanning early is great, but if you need to see the ureters, you're doing a CT urogram for hematuria, 
here's nice duplication you need to get delayed phase imaging there's no magic timing when we get the acquisitions is dependent on the application so an example hematuria there's a lesion in the left kidney infiltrating delayed function here it is you can see nicely on the coronal display it's not vascular and then on delayed phase imaging you particularly nicely see the destroyed upper pole calyx involvement of the pelvis very very classic transitional cell carcinoma and you especially see it nicely on the ct urogram okay very nice visualization again early and late phase imaging we talk about hepatomas and say if you only could do one phase it needs to be arterial phase we typically do arterial and venous but arterial phase is mandatory because you'll miss 30 percent of hepatomas unless you scan them early and you can see a beautiful example of a two centimeter hepatoma in this patient in fact we're even better you see how this case shows you the feeding vessel to that hepatoma well we see other cases where you just see a little bit of regular vascularity and when you look at that vascularity in 3d it's neovascularity and when you biopsy you get hepatoma so at times we don't need to see the absolute mass we can see its sequela and again if we're looking at the liver you're typically not only doing arterial phase imaging you're doing venous phase imaging the next patient was a cirrhotic patient rule out hcc rule out hepatoma wet bowel pattern edema patent portal vein but just very nice portal hypertension with increased flow into the mesenteric vessels beautifully seen on these grayscale images and on these volume renderings so again how you do the study becomes indeed very critical what else well when i look for gi bleeding when i look for carcinoid tumor arterial phase imaging is critical water or volumen and look how nicely we see this enhancement terminal ileum cecum level you see it because there's no positive contrast there you see it because of the timing the rapid acquisition this is where the fast scanners work well and in this case on axial imaging you also see a mass in the mesentery very classic carcinoid tumor and here it is in a coronal display primary mass ileocecal valve level mass in mesentery a casing branch of the sma nodes classic carcinoid and you can see with timing how good you can get symptoms of carcinoid every study is negative look at these axial images well in fact when i put the circle there you'll see there are a couple vascular blushes and i'll show it to you again look at that coronal display of that lupavillium multiple small two to three millimeter vascular blushes and i'll show it to you again in mip look at those multiple blushes this patient had multiple up to 40 small carcinoid tumors just spectacularly shown by doing the timing in the right point and here's one more image those were carpeted lesions but you would miss those routinely and if you don't get arterial phase imaging and you don't do 3d mapping and you don't look carefully you're not going to see it what else about contrast okay rectal contrast most rectal contrast we use of a virtual colonoscopy and then we use co2 rather than air co2 works nicely because it's absorbed relatively quickly with less pain to the patient and you can see just some examples the key of course is good distension then you can get very good virtual colonoscopy okay no great surprise there we also use positive contrast sometimes looking for fistulas in cases of trauma this patient was a gunshot wound but when you look at the injury you see lacerations to the kidney 
and to the liver, you also see pneumoperitoneum, which makes you highly suspicious of a bowel injury. And if you look at the patient's hepatic flexure, it's right in the course of the bullet. And so you give rectal contrast and look at that nice extravasation. Beautiful textbook example. This patient gets peritonitis. This patient went to surgery to fix the patient's bowel. Again, impossible to define, detect without positive contrast. Yes, you can see some fluid near the bowel, and yes, you can be suspicious, but this makes it 100%, and on that, the patient goes to surgery. On some of my lectures on CT cystoscopy, we spoke about bladder contrast. In the trauma patient with pelvic trauma, it's ideal to exclude bladder injury. When we look for fistulas, when we look to injuries of the bladder, say from robotic prostatectomy, air can be used, water can be used, but the ideal is positive contrast, 30 cc's of Omni 350 in a 500 cc bag of saline, drip it under gravity, very nice opacification. We'll do a few non-contrast scans. We'll do bladder filled and bladder emptied. Once in a while on the bladder empty, you can see a tiny fistula, but in this case it's normal. And in this case, post-prostatectomy with pain, fever, and some fluid, you can see at the base the contrast extravasation, very classic appearance. And then look where the contrast goes. It goes around the bowel loops. That means it's intraperitoneal rupture. Most ruptures are extraperitoneal. Intraperitoneal is something we see with robotic prostatectomy. Just an absolutely beautiful example. Look at all of those bowel loops just sort of floating in that fluid, which is actually urine, in this case, contrast. So hopefully I've gone through a lot of things. I've gone through the patient prep. I focused on contrast, oral and IV. I focused on how we give it, why we give it, what decisions we make. Again, we need to design the best protocol for the patient. Unless you give them the right contrast, you're not going to get the right answer, which means additional scanning and additional radiation dose. And again, we want to optimize the dose profile. We'll speak about that more specifically in another talk. And again, if you're not certain what to do, and if you're not certain why we're doing the study, take this mental time out. And once you know what you're doing, get started, and you'll do a great job. And with that, I wish you all the best, and have a terrific day.